Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 6. I'm just going to read the one verse that we'll focus on both this morning and this evening, and that's Romans 6, verse 14. Paul says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So let's look to God and ask for his help as we come to his word this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this whole epistle, and we thank you for the teaching of the Apostle Paul, especially here in chapter 6. Help us to understand more about this particular statement in verse 14. Help us to live in light of what it teaches. Help us to live in light of the great salvation with which you have saved us, your people, in Jesus Christ, your Son. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. I want to just ask one thing before I begin of my technologist over there. Could you just shut my mic off for a minute? Because I need to pinch it. Thank you, Courtney. And I didn't want to make a distracting noise. So we began our study of Romans 6.14 last Lord's Day evening. And as I mentioned, I'm going to preach on this text both this morning and this evening again. This morning, I just want to finish what I began last week. I just got into the practical applications. And then this evening, I want to give what I'll call an appendix regarding the law in the life of the Christian. So let me begin by trying to briefly review what we saw last week. I need to review it because uh, my applications rest on what I said about the text, but I'll try to do this briefly. I pointed out how in verses 8 through 14, we have what I titled our confidence regarding life in Christ. Our confidence is stated in verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, that's what Paul was writing about in the first part of the chapter, the first seven verses, and now he says, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So if you're a Christian, you think God has saved you, that means you've died with Christ, then this is your confidence. We believe that we shall also live with him. And as I said, that doesn't just point to the future resurrection that's coming when Christ comes, but that points to your life right now, that you will be able to live a life unto God, not in the service of sin, but in the service of God. That's our confidence. And then the basis of our confidence in verses nine and ten is in verses nine and ten. It's because Christ died, and we know that he died, he also rose, and therefore we, if we're his, died and rose in him and with him. That's our confidence. That's the basis of our confidence, verses 9 and 10. And then it's practical application in our lives. We saw it's in verse 8, it's in verses 11, 12, and 13. And then last week we began what I regard as the conclusion to this section, verses 8 to 14. I called it the conclusion. And the conclusion is the absolute certainty of the reign of grace in the life of the Christian. If you ask the question after you go through verses 8 to 13, but is that really true? Can we really have that confidence? Paul is stating in verse 14 that yes, you absolutely may have that confidence. And he states it this way, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And you see how that fits with uh, the main heading, our confidence that we have regarding life in Christ. It's stated in verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And now Paul concludes that that is certainly going to be true. It's not a vain hope. 
that you will live with him. In other words, walk in, how does he state it earlier? Walk in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 5, walk in newness of life. It's absolutely certain sin shall not have dominion over you if you're saved, for you are not under law, but you're under grace. So there's the assertion, first of all, in the first part of the verse, sin shall not have dominion over you. Let me just mention a couple things I pointed out about that. The first thing I said is this is a statement that is designed to encourage God's people. You might think, oh, but sin is so strong. Temptation is still all around me. I am so weak. Even as a believer, I still have remaining sin. Maybe sin will get the dominion over me again. This is what Paul is addressing. This is the concern. This is the fear he's addressing. It's designed for encouragement. He's saying it will not happen if you're tempted to think, how can I live this way that Paul is urging me to live, reckoning myself to be dead to sin, not letting sin reign in my mortal body, verse 12, not presenting my members to unrighteousness, but presenting them to God and to righteousness. How can I live that way? How can I do that? Well, Paul answers this, that question. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It's designed for encouragement. And as I said, the way to understand this text, because I mentioned last week that this text is really a um, very commonly perverted text among professing Christians, and, and sadly, too many people who are genuine Christians. I'll get into that much more tonight. But the way to understand this verse is to see it in light of its context, and that's part of the reason I'm reviewing again. So there is the conclusion Paul gives, the assertion in the first part of the verse. The second thing we saw is the reason the reason for this conclusion that sin shall not have dominion over you if you're a Christian. And I pointed out first, and that's the last part of the verse, for you are not under law, but under grace. And I mentioned, first of all, what Paul is not saying here, especially when you think of that statement, for we are not under law. He's not saying you don't need to earn your salvation. That's not what the statement you're not under law means here. That's true. You don't need to earn your salvation. And frankly, the statement, you are not under law, would be a decent way to express that. But that's not Paul's point here. That's not his point in Romans 6. The second thing it does not mean here is that you are not under the rule of the old covenant. Again, that's true. Paul writes about that in chapter 2, about the difference between Jews and Gentiles. But that's not his point in Romans 6. He's talking here about the difference between believers and non-believers. And then the third thing he's not saying here is that you don't need to obey God's law. That's the common misconception even among Christian people, that we don't need to obey God's law. And this verse is the proof text for that idea. They think, but that's not what Paul is saying here. Many people draw a very faulty conclusion from this text. That is that God's law has nothing to do with us as Christians. That's a faulty conclusion. As I said, we'll focus on that error tonight, God willing. So we see the reason why Paul asserts that sin will not have dominion over you ever again if you are a Christian. It used to, when you were not a Christian, he's saying, if you're a Christian, it never will have dominion over you again. And now let's notice what he is saying here when he says, for you are not under law, but under grace. Here's the reason why if you're a Christian, the law of God, in the sense he's talking about here, will never have dominion over you again. What he's saying is this. As a Christian, you have been permanently removed from the realm of sin, condemnation, and death. And you've been brought into the realm of righteousness, justification, and life. 
Did I just pull those words out of the air? No. Did I just pull them out of some theology book somewhere? No, I pulled it out of Romans 5 and 6. We've been over that already. I'm not going to um, show that again. But what Paul is doing here in this statement at the end of Romans 6.14, for you are not under law but under grace, he's summarizing what I just said about these two different realms with just two words, the word law and the word grace. If you're a Christian, you are not under law. And we could say you are not under law, under its reign, under its dominion anymore. But you're under a different reign and a different dominion. And that is you are under grace. That's what Paul is saying. So when someone is converted to Jesus Christ, when he's born again, when he turns from sin to God, and it's the real thing, He's no longer under the law, or we could say he's no longer under the reign of sin, because that's how it states it in verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. We could add the word there, anymore, because it used to, if you're a Christian. But you are under grace. You are under this new regime of righteousness, justification, and life. In fact, I'm going to quote from that hymn we just sang a little bit earlier. As Pastor Carlson mentioned, hymn number 449 is an excellent place, and that's a rarity that a pastor would say that about a hymn, but an excellent place to study the subject of God's law. But it captures this point here that I'm making right now in the fifth stanza. It says, the law is good, but since the fall, its holiness condemns us all. Now, if in my Bible, you just glance over the page at Romans 7, 12. It says, therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. So he says here, the law is good, and then he speaks about its holiness. And then I mentioned how... Before you're saved, you're under the reign of the law. Or you could put it in another way, like John Murray mentions in his commentary on Romans 5 and Romans 6. You're under the, under the reign of condemn sin, condemnation, and death. And notice in this hymn, the law is good, but since the fall, its holiness condemns us all. There's the condemnation. It dooms us for our sin to die. Sin, condemnation, and death. Or if you want to put it more succinctly, you're under the reign of the law when you're not a Christian. But when God saves you, it changes everything. And the point for our purposes here today is this. As we look at Romans 6.14, since we're in this new world, this new universe, this new eon, as one commentator called it, as believers, since we're in Christ... Like the first part of Romans 6 tells us, you, are, you died with Him because you are in Him. You were raised with Him because you are in Him. Since that's true, Adam is not our head anymore. The devil isn't our father anymore. And sin is not our master anymore. This is the glorious truth that Paul is writing about. So in this realm, though you might be tempted to think... It's not true. It is true that in this realm, you as a Christian, because what, have, what God has done in your life, you can do God's will. You can obey His commandments. The truth taught in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him, through Christ who strengthens me. Because you're in a new realm now. And this realm is a great contrast to the old realm. I read Romans 8, 7 last week. And at the end of that verse, it says about the carnal mind, that is the mind of the unbeliever. It says that mind, the unbeliever's mind, is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. The unbeliever might want to say, but I want to obey God's commands in a biblical sense of the word. And Paul is saying he can't. He can't while he's in that realm till God saves him. 
But in this realm, the realm in which the believer is, we can say he can obey God's law. He can do God's will because in this realm, God makes it possible. Christ makes it possible. He does that by his cross and by his resurrection. The Holy Spirit who dwells in him makes that possible. In fact, he makes that certain. He makes it guaranteed. That's why Paul speaks in this strong language. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. That's exactly what we've been seeing in this first half of Romans 6. You as a Christian can walk in newness of life because you are in Christ. You can walk in newness of life because you are dead to sin. You can walk in newness of, Christ, of, of life because the dominion of sin has been broken in Jesus Christ. So, you see the point that I made last week during my review. I stated it this way. Romans 6.14 is not an encouragement. I'll put that in quotes. It's not an encouragement to you that you don't need to obey God's law. If that were what it were saying, there are way too many people who would take encouragement from that. Because that would just mean live how you want. If it feels good, do it, as we used to say when I was a young kid. No, it's not an encouragement that you don't need to obey God's law. It's an encouragement that you can obey God's law. And if you are a Christian, that you will obey God's law. You can walk in newness of life, however difficult it may get at times. You can say no to the dominion of sin in your life. Though sometimes that may seem impossible, you can present your members to God rather than going back um, to the mud like the pig Peter talks about in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, I think it is, or 2 Peter 2, you can present your members to God rather than to sin. So that's the text. And then I had, I told you four categories of people that I wanted to apply it to. I did it to just one category last week, the unbeliever. But assuming if there are still unbelievers sitting in front of me, I don't want to leave you out today, so let me just say a couple of things to you and then I'll press on. If you're an unbeliever, that means you are still in that old realm. To us, it's old. To you, it's all you've ever known. It's the realm of sin and condemnation and death. You have a cloud of condemnation hanging over you, like it says in Romans 1, that the wrath of God is being revealed, present tense, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So you're still in that realm of sin, condemnation, and death. We could say you're still under the dominion of sin or the reign of sin. Verse 12, you still are under law in the sense that Paul is talking about here in verse 14. You're an unbeliever. You're a sinner. You're under the wrath of God. You're a child of the devil. You're in bondage to sin and in bondage, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, to the fear of of death. And you might think, well, I don't look at my life that way. My conscience is not bothered about anything you're saying. That's not a blessing. If you're an unbeliever and you think that way, that is not a blessing to not have a bothered conscience. I mentioned that sometimes people in this life who have lived as if they didn't think there was a God and they lived a very godless life, they come to die, suddenly their conscience comes to life. And it torments them for a little bit, but that's nothing compared to the torment that they'll know once they die. It's also a reality that some people who just live like they don't believe there is a God, and they're very ungodly in their life, it's also true that sometimes when they come to their deathbed, their conscience still doesn't bother them. Their conscience has been seared, which is a very sad thing. Job wrote about those people. He said, he talked about the wicked who aren't undergoing all the trials that he was undergoing, 
who was a believer in God, lost his family, lost his estate, lost all his goods, and had lost his health, and was in a very sad condition, and he was lamenting that there were many ungodly people that he noticed lived like there was no care in the world. And then he also commented, and they die that way too. They die in peace, without a terrible prolonged illness like I have, and without struggles of conscience like he may have been experiencing himself. That's not a blessing. Because you'll be shocked when you wake up immediately after you die facing the judge of all mankind, Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, there is a way out for you from that realm of sin, condemnation, and death. And I'll just turn a couple of pages over to Romans 9 for a moment. Romans 9, verse 33. The Apostle Paul there is writing about how unbelievers can be saved from their unbelief and their ungodliness. He says in Romans 9.33, as it is written, and he's going to quote an Old Testament passage now. He says, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. That's Jesus Christ. And he calls him a stumbling stone and a rock of offense because when people hear about Jesus Christ as the way to be saved from sin, people get offended by that. That's why he's called a stumbling stone. And you might say, well, that didn't happen with me. I was like Mr. Gurgulis. I first heard the gospel preached and I, and I believed it. And Paul is saying that's not true about everyone. Some people take great offense that someone like Jesus Christ would say that he's the perfect man and the son of God and he was sinless, but I'm not. They take great offense at that. And that I need to bow my knee to whatever he says in order to be saved from hell. They take great offense at that. That's what Paul's saying. So whether you take offense at it or not, if you're not a Christian, this is what you need to hear, the last part of this verse. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You may think about Christians, when we die and the end of this world comes, if we still have any consciousness, we who lived our whole life after we found out this truth, to try to please God and his son Jesus Christ, we'll find out it was just a waste of time and effort. And that then we'll look back and just hang our heads in shame about the way we wasted our life. But what Paul is saying is this. This is the hope that you can have if you don't think that the thing to do is bow the knee to King Jesus and believe in him and serve him, but just continue to serve your sin. Here's the hope you could have, that if you believe in him, if you repent of your sins, then when the end of your life comes, or when the end of this age comes, when Jesus Christ returns, if you have put your hope in him, you will be shielded from the wrath to come, and you will not be the one that is hanging your head in shame, and could I say it in a sense, kicking yourself forever and ever and ever because you squandered the opportunity you had when you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I urge you and I plead with you not to do that. Don't squander this opportunity that God is graciously giving you today. You might be thinking right now, I could have been in a hundred places where I'd, be spend, where, where I'd be having a lot more enjoyment, a lot more fun than I'm having right now but you could not be in a better place in terms of the opportunity to enjoy God and his creation and his smile forever and ever and ever. May God deliver you from the realm of the law and bring you into the realm of grace even today. But now I want to apply this to another category of people, and that's a hypocrite. 
the hypocrite. What's the difference between a hypocrite and an unbeliever? You might say there's no difference. Well, in one sense, there's not. A hypocrite is an unbeliever, but he's a special unbeliever. He's one who either thinks that he is a believer, that's a hypocrite, or he just pretends to be an un, a believer and wants other people to think he's a believer. That's a hypocrite. So a hypocrite is someone who is either self-deceived or who just aims to deceive others, or it could be both. But that's a hypocrite. He's someone who thinks he's a Christian or says he's a Christian, even though he knows he's not, but he's not a real Christian. That's a hypocrite. And I just want to address hypocrites for a moment. And what's the practical application for you if you're a hypocrite, a special kind of unbeliever, one who thinks he's a believer or calls himself a believer? Well, it's really not any different from the practical application for unbelievers. An unbeliever needs to repent of his sins and come to Jesus. And so if you're a hypocrite, you need to repent of your sins and come to Jesus. Because just like I said about an unbeliever who might be deceived about the state of his soul and his spiritual condition, it is not a blessing for you to be deceived in this way either. As a hypocrite, that is not a blessing. You might say, well, it keeps me from a lot of outward sins that I might otherwise run into if I wasn't trying to keep up the, the um, reputation that I'm a Christian. Well, maybe so. But what, what good will that do you in the end? None. So let me just turn to one passage with you. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. This is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's an excellent passage for hypocrites because it's about hypocrites. And it's addressed to hypocrites. And specifically in this case, it's people who really think they are Christians. And Jesus pictures what it might be like when they die if they don't come to real repentance and real faith in Jesus Christ. And come to know real forgiveness of sin. And to know the power of God really working in their lives. That's what Jesus is talking about here. A hypocrite coming to die. And he says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, in other words, they call me Lord. When other people pray, they pray. And when someone prays and gets done and it's a prayer of a believer and it's a, a biblical prayer and the other believers around say amen, they say amen. But Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Maybe we could say it in terms of Romans chapter 6. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or like Pastor Carlson says, goes through the outward motions of Christianity will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who walks in newness of life. Put it in Paul's terms in Romans 6. It's the same thing. He who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who presents his members to righteousness for holiness. But then he goes on. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? In other words, these people didn't just say amen to prayers in church. They stood up and preached in church. But Jesus is saying they still might not be the real deal. And so he says in verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He was talking about people like Judas, who went out with the other apostles when they were sent out two by two and preached like they did and performed miracles like they did. If not... Why would the apostles have thought on the day that Jesus was going to be arrested that when Judas went out of the upper room, why would the other apostles have thought he was going out to give money to the poor or buy more food for the meal? Why wouldn't they have said, finally, he's been unmasked? Because he was still masked to them. He was a hypocrite and a good one. But this is saying, if you don't have 
the power of the Holy Spirit in your life so that not only do you maybe pray out loud like a Christian, say amen like a Christian, discuss theology like a Christian, say you're a Christian, but you're not really one. This says, if that's not true, you will not be in the kingdom of God in the end. You'll be in outer darkness. And so you need to wake up. You need to realize it. And if you do realize, even to a degree, that you really don't know the power of God in your life, you really don't have a heart that loves God and beats for Him and not for this world and your own pleasures, that has really changed you. If you have any inkling that that could be true about you, ask God to help you know for sure. You need to realize that if you're not a Christian, and as I said about the unbeliever, you also need to come to Christ. So that's the second category, the hypocrite. But then thirdly, this text addresses the next category that I want to mention, and that is the believer, so a true believer, but the believer who is hesitant. Or we could say the believer who is uncertain. He's not certain about whether he's truly a Christian or not. I'll use an old puritanic word, who's diffident. Remember, diffidence was the wife of giant despair in the uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Or who is doubtful, believer who is doubtful, or believer who is always fearful, <clears throat> not, in a, not in a healthy way. We should always be fearful, all of us, in a healthy way. But a believer who is fearful in an unhealthy way, that's what I mean by a believer who is hesitant. And of these four categories that I'm applying this in, this is really my main burden. So I'll spend most of my time here of all these four categories. It's my main burden. I want to give you assistance if you are a hesitant Christian. <clears throat> and the reason I want to make it my main burden is because I think it's Paul's main burden here in this passage. I think it's the diffident or the hesitant Christian who needs this assurance that sin shall not have dominion over him. Because he fears that it might. And he fears that his whole Christian life is constantly at risk of being completely undone and spoiled in a moment. And so that's why I'm taking the time I'm going to take. I want to address a believer who's hesitant. Hesitant, perhaps, to conclude that you really are dead to sin and alive to God. Hesitant to be bold and strong and decisive regarding your present relationship to sin and in your present battle against it. So that you could just stand there and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, so will sin ever overcome you again? No! No, sin shall not have dominion over me. That's what I'm talking about. You're, you're reluctant to be bold like that. And you're hesitant also, therefore, to claim all that Christ has purchased for you. In other words, to say this, this, and this, that the Bible tells me Christ has purchased for me as a believer in Him, they are all rightfully mine. So this is who I'm talking to. Maybe you fit in that category. Maybe you don't. I'll quote at the end of my sermon, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I don't put myself in that category. I don't think so highly of myself to think that I might not be in that category someday. Now remember, I'm saying you're a Christian, but remember that as a Christian, you still have what we call remaining sin. Paul writes all about that in chapter 7. So we'll get into that as we get there. And we'll say a lot, be able to say a lot more about the reign of the law as well and the dominion of the law. But as a Christian, you still have remaining sin. So the reality is that the law... Working with sin, we're going to see this whole thing in chapter 7, can still trouble you. 
It can still distress you. I'll use another puritanic word. It can, can still discomfort you, get you all out of sorts in your Christian life. It can still afflict you. It can still grieve you. And so there's a sense in which we need to start back in verse 11, like we saw there. You need to reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Realize what the Bible says about a believer and say, this must be true of me. I'm reckoning this to be true and I'm going to live in the light of it. In other words, when you're in the fog of war sometimes and it doesn't seem like that could possibly be the case, take your Bible out. Read it. And believe it. And that really is my main exhortation today. It's to believe what the Bible says about you as a Christian. And it is to believe the whole counsel of God. Sometimes I'm, when I'm speaking to people who are hesitant in the way I'm talking about, fearful, diffident, there's some parts of the Bible I don't have to try to convince them about, like how much of a sinner they are. I don't, have to, I don't have to turn to one passage to get that across to them. There are some people that I do have to turn to passages about that subject because they think too highly of themselves. But the people I'm talking about, I don't have to convince them of that. But of some of these things, they need to be convinced. So my exhortation is believe what the Bible says and believe the whole counsel of God. Everything it says about believers. My main responsibility as a preacher is to proclaim that whole counsel of God, which is what I'm doing right now. It's your responsibility as a hearer to believe it and to live it. And may I say that is my responsibility also. I preach first to myself when I preach, but I also sit in the pew. It's my responsibility to believe and live in light of it. And that's what I want you to do as a hesitant believer today. So let me give you two more specific directives here in that regard. One is this, learn to live, or I shouldn't say learn to live, learn to evaluate yourself biblically. And that just means use the Bible as the measure to evaluate yourself. You, wanna, you say, I want to figure out if I have good spiritual health. Maybe I need to figure out, am I even a real Christian? You're talking about hypocrites? Okay, use, learn to evaluate yourself by using the Bible. And in doing that, be both idealistic and realistic. You should be idealistic. You should say the Bible has very high standards for how Christians should live. That's a true observation. So you should have high standards for yourself, biblical standards. You should be idealistic when you try to evaluate yourself according to the Bible. You say, well, that's exactly why I always think I'm not a Christian. Because the Bible standards are so high. But you need to be idealistic and realistic. And the realism is also right in the Bible, isn't it? Christians sin. We're going to read that about Paul in the second half of Romans 7. You're familiar with it. Paul sinned. Paul wrote about his own struggle with sin. You say, well, he probably didn't struggle at the level I do. No, probably not. But he had serious struggles in the sins he was combating. So be both idealistic and realistic. Don't condemn yourself every time you see sin in your life. There's a lot more sin in your life than you'll ever see. Don't condemn yourself every time certain sins rear their ugly heads. And then also, by examining your, uh, evaluating yourself biblically, be reasonable and comprehensive. By being reasonable, I mean things like this. Don't just have a subjective view of the matter. It's all about what I think, and it's all about how I feel. So bad things happen in your life. You react in a sinful way. Oh, see, I'm not a Christian. That's a subjective evaluation based on the way things are going in your life and how you feel in the day. Don't always be down on yourself, I'm saying. Be reasonable. 
Especially be reasonable by saying, well, what does the Bible say? And not my heart. What do mature Christians who know me say? And not just what is my own judgment. That's reasonable. And then be comprehensive. You say, well, I, I come up with a negative view about myself because I'm looking at the Bible. And the Bible says sin shall not have dominion over me. And it seems to me like sin is having dominion over me. We use the whole Bible. So in the Bible, there are godly people who sin and they're grieved over their sins. This is what I like to point out to people sometimes. You're sitting here telling me you're not a Christian and you're all upset about it. And that sounds like a Christian view of the situation. Unbelievers don't really care about the sins they commit. So take the whole Bible into account. Be comprehensive. And then take this into account. One of the clear marks of a Christian is how he acts when he realizes he's sinned. What does he do? Well, he repents. He confesses his sin. He calls his sin, sin. So here I'm talking to someone who's telling me how grieved they are about their sin. They're confessing their sins to me, and I didn't even need to hear it because it wasn't against me. They've confessed their sins to God, and they don't see any fruit in their life. I mean, that is the kind of fruit that the Bible says, you're going to be in glory someday. So that's my first thing. Learn to evaluate yourself biblically. And then the second thing is this. If you think you are a believer... All right, even on your worst day, you think you're a believer. And let's, you should in many cases, because let's say you're a church member and you haven't come and told the pastor you need to resign from your church membership because you're that much of an unbeliever, you're sure. Or as you're talking with someone who says, well, I don't think you're, I don't think you're an unbeliever. You may be a weak believer. You may have these sins like you're saying, and it would be nice if by this stage in your Christian life, after all the years that you've known God and been walking with God, it would be nice if you're farther along in the sanctification process, but I don't think you're not a Christian. So you say, yeah, you're, you know, I think I am a Christian, but there's this big but. So if you think you're a believer, even though you're hesitant, here's my second exhortation, specific directive Take passages like our passage today to be passages about you. You might say, well, that's pretty elementary. I know it. This is not rocket science. Take these passages to be passages about you and then live in the light of them. Assume that they really are for you. Just say, you come to this passage, I'm struggling with my assurance, and I read this passage, I come to verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. I oh, mean, I don't feel like that. For you are not under law, but under grace. But every time I go back and forth, I think I'm a Christian. I love Christ. I want to keep following Christ. I don't want to go back to the world of sin. So just stand there and say it. This is for me. This is for me. I assure you that the devil does not want you to say that. So don't present your members like your brain and your mouth to him and say, I must not be a Christian. Say, this is for me. And be bold. Let me just turn you to a few passages in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 to start. Hebrews 3 and verse 6. On this whole matter of just being bold as a Christian. As it's the way Christians should be, to one degree or another. The writers uh, to the Hebrews in Hebrews 3, verse 6, well, back up to verse 5 for the full sentence. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his house, whose house we are, we're true believers, it's saying, we're really Christ's people. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. A believer, by definition, has confidence and joy and, 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 and rejoicing in hope. 
And you might say, well, I don't have much of that. But you have some of that if you're a real Christian. And what I'm saying is live in that light and be bold like that. Verse 14, likewise, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You say, well, well, I, I did feel like I had that confidence at one time in my Christian life, but it's like I'm losing my grip. Well, that happens to Christians. So what you should do then is tighten your grip. Hold on. And don't let go. Keep looking to Jesus. That's the thrust of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what you need to do, brethren. Just look to Christ, hold on to Christ and say, this is my lot as a believer. This is my inheritance to live this way, to be bold Another text, I won't look at it for the sake of time with you, but Hebrews 10, 19. The point is, just be bold. I want you to listen to a par paragraph in our confession. It's the paragraph on adoption. It's chapter 12 of the confession. It's just one paragraph. Part of it says, All those that are justified, God vouchsafed in and for the sake of His only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption. So all those that are justified are also adopted into God's family, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of children of God. And that first word in that paragraph is, is very important. All those that are justified, all of them, if you're, if you're hesitant as a believer, it would be good for you to, to take that chapter out. It's one paragraph and study it and look up the proof texts and ask God to help you believe those proof texts. All of God's children are adopted and they all enjoy the liberties and the privileges of the children of God. Say to yourself, if Paul could speak that way, Romans 6, 14, and if Paul could think that way, then I can think that way. If Pastor Chansky can think that way, then I can think that way. Paul and Pastor Chansky are no less sinners than I am. And they are no more redeemed than I am. Now, as I said, Satan does not want you to think that way. He doesn't want you to speak that way. He doesn't want you to act like you believe that way. So do it. Here's, here's where you should use this text. <clears throat> Maybe the most common use of this text is, as I said, the way people misuse it. To say, I don't have to obey God's law. Romans 6, 14, we're not under law. That's the misuse of the text. Here's the way you should use it, and here is when you should use it. When Satan tells you, you can't do what God tells you to do. And you believe him and you say, so I won't even try. And so you just moan and you whine and you make other people miserable around you. When Satan is saying that to you, don't act that way. When your heart is telling you, I'm too weak to do that, you use this text. When sin says to you, I am still the boss of you, like Romans 6.12, and you should be saying, no, this is when you, you need to use that text. And you need to rear up and say, sin shall not have dominion over me. For I am not under law, I am under grace. And you can say that. You may say that. You should say 
that. And you should say it because you are in Christ. You have died with him, we're told in Romans 6. You have been raised with him. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And now everything is different. Old things have passed away, right? All things have become new. That's what God has done with me. You are different from what you were in your pre-Christian days. You are in a different realm. That's where you live. In the realm of grace. Everything is different. Everything. We prayed for the family of Randy Pizzino today. And one of my thoughts about him in the last couple days has been he was a hesitant believer and I'm only saying that because he used to write prayer letters to our churches and tell us about that when he had times where he got so discouraged he had to step down from the ministry for a while and he asked us to pray I don't remember exactly how old he was. I think he was around 77. He got old. He hasn't been a pastor for several years. But in his recent years, as many of you know, if you come to the prayer meetings, he has spent his labors and his energy traveling to Africa and back, teaching preachers and potential preachers in Africa. And after COVID, he just set up Zoom meetings and he, thankfully he got other pastors involved. So I hope this ministry will continue. But that's what he did. I think he's made at, long, at least one trip back to Africa since. And he was getting old and he was feeling it. Now the stroke came out of nowhere, but it was God. But I just thought, what a triumph of grace for a hesitant Christian. Blessed be God, brethren. Blessed be God. He could do it, not because of the great man he was, but because of the great Savior he had. And because he believed what the Bible said about him, even on his bad days. May God help us all. I'm going to pass the fourth category, the confident believer. The basic thing is just press on, brethren. Press on. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words and ask that you would help us, help us to believe, help our unbelief, Help every hesitant believer among us. Expose every hypocrite among us and bring him to cry out for grace and help him to believe that if he casts himself upon Jesus, he will never be ashamed. And we ask that you would help us all who believe in you to press on in faith in Jesus Christ and go from strength to strength, all for the glory of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.